Welcome back to the Afternoon Snack Podcast. Uh, I'm Meredith, here with Alex, and today we have a very special guest with us. We have Alex's mom, Brenda, which is actually her Instagram handle, if you'd like to follow along. Um, she's got a really interesting story about nutrition and fitness in her <laughs> in her own life, and we talk about it a lot like off the cuff, and we wanted to share the story for a while. So we figure new podcast equipment, uh, there's no better episode, I think, to start with than, uh, than Brenda's. Okay, so surprisingly enough, she has her own identity other than my mom. Um, so I'll just give you some statistics to give you a bit of a background, and then she'll dive deeper. So she retired about three years ago from um, practicing law, which she was doing for about 30 years. She's run four marathons. She's an avid skier and golfer. She's been doing strength and conditioning with optimum performance for about five years. She, in those five years, had made some really great fitness gains. She's did her first strict muscle up of April last year. We were there to witness that. Came along with a lot of dancing and smiling and jumping up and down. Wait, did you say strict muscle up or strict pull up? Oh, I think I said <laughs> muscle up. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> she's like not gonna correct that she's like yeah it was pretty awesome it was um, first trick pull up <clears throat> um now she's doing weighted pull-ups up to 10 pounds um her shoulder press is 95 pounds front squat 150 deadlift 235 and she's proud to say that she can as- ascend a rope several times in a workout without needing ems to come save her which I think makes both me and my coach very happy. Our coach. Probably. Yeah. So I think we'll just, if you could just give us a bit of a background on like kind of how you grew up a little bit on your self-esteem and your relationship with food kind of starting back when you can remember it being relevant. So um, I grew up with... um, a mom who is great, but very focused on image and stuff. So that had that kind of played into things a little bit. Um, also, Ukrainian background, so everything was about food. Um, not to blame anything; it was just just the way it was. And we were rewarded with food if we felt sad. We were given food, and I think you probably <laughs> recall having been raised that way as well. And um, as far as self-esteem, pretty much had none. And uh, that had an effect, of course, on on uh, relationship with food, or not, of course, but it, it can, and it did with me. And so probably from about the age of 12, 13, I would say as far back as I can recall, that's as far back as I can recall, having um, struggled with, started to struggle with body image issues and self-esteem, all that kind of thing. And 13-ish was probably the first time Um, that I started dieting and it was like my own thing. I think it was like oranges and carrots until my skin turned orange and um, basically spent uh, up until I was about 48 years old um, trying every diet under the sun and uh, basically yo-yo dieting, gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight, uh, getting pregnant, losing, uh, gaining a lot of weight. And um, how much weight? 
Uh, so probably the heaviest I was getting up and down was probably maybe 165 pounds. And with both of my pregnancies, I was over 200. Uh, proud to say none of that was water gain. <laughs> that was, that was the, as they say, it was a license to eat. And um, uh, I, I look at women now who basically look, are pregnant who look like normal people with a baby inside them, and I basically looked like a normal person with about seven babies in me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was, uh, uh, that, and, and, and also uh, not the healthiest person in the world. I also started smoking around 13 and uh, pretty much spent my youth um, smoking and drinking, which uh, I'm very proud of. And uh, that continued on through, up, up until... Uh, after I had children, except I wasn't smoking through my pregnancies, but uh, did light up on the way to the hospital. <laughs> I feel like that's fair. Why not? Yeah, I mean, at that point. So do you mind if I say what, like, your height and your weight and your age, just to give people? Sure. Okay, so you're about, what, 140? Yeah. You're how old? Uh, 61. 61 and about 5'6". Six. Six. Okay, just to give you an idea when we talk about weight. And she eats more than 2,100 calories a day. Yeah. Most no. days. Yeah. Okay. So when you talk about like your self-esteem, like what kind of issues did you have? Like what, what was it with your body or your self-esteem or, uh, just everything, just everything really. Um, a big focus on legs and ass. Um, I think, uh, I was probably about 15 years old. I remember somebody called me thunder thighs and, that was the last time I wore shorts uh, for a very long time. And I think I'm a fairly athletic person, uh, but missed all of that through my youth, mainly because uh, I just didn't feel, I didn't have the confidence to put myself out there. I, uh, you know, fear of failure, all that kind of stuff, especially anything physical. So um, even in my early 20s, I was in university, and I remember probably m four years of undergrad, not having spent a day in public without a long sweater or a jacket covering my butt. And um, yeah, just that kind of thing where you're just const like constantly self-conscious about what you look like, how fat you look, all that kind of thing, comparing yourself to your friends. Um, I had a really good looking girlfriend who had like everything going for her tiny waist and she had these nice boobs and everything. And just to make myself feel better, I convinced her that she had very fat ankles. <laughs> and <laughs> so uh, to my knowledge, she's still struggling with that to this day. Again, that's <laughs> uh, something else I'm very proud of. Just um, to clarify, my mom uses the word girlfriend as in like a friend who's a girl. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Not like an actual girlfriend. Yeah. That we know of. Yeah. She wasn't my partner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the right. That's a, that's a better term. What created a lot of the anxieties at that time? Were they different than what create anxieties for people now? Or is it kind of the same? Uh, I think there's more pressure now. I'm guessing that they're the same. I feel like a lot of it was just self-imposed. Like, I, I'm not sure exactly where it came from. I mean, I grew up in a generation where all our moms were dieting all the time and they were doing these you know, they were exercising and talking about um, how they looked and they had to sit. So I think a lot of that, that there was that subconsciously. Um, and, and as I say, I think there's just a ton more pressure now uh, because I, you know, with social media and everything, it, it's a lot different. But I think it was just, um, just that. I think it was just a generational thing. Yeah. Seems to be. 
we get a lot of uh, clients who are around our age and we hear stories from them about their relationship with their mom or not even relationship, just like watching their, the way that their parents are, the way that specifically their mom was with food. And it creates, I think it, it can create a lot of anxiety in children that maybe parents don't realize. And I think people are becoming more aware of it now, but um, that's definitely a pattern that we see, right? Yeah. So when you had the, like having Alex change anything for you, or just the way that you were outwardly, uh, you know, about your own diet or nutrition. Sorry, having Alex, like when I gave birth to her, like when I, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, did it change like, your, it... did it change the way that you thought about, um, nutrition or even about no. yourself? No, 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 huh. no, I, I, both pregnancies, I was very big, lost weight after got very thin and just continued on the same cycle. So what was the turning point then for you? So the turning point for me, I was around 48 years old and maybe too much information, but I went through early menopause at that point. And after having gone through every diet on, in, under the sun for years and well, years. Let's talk about that first. Oh, that's a good, those are good ones. Let, let's <laughs> just maybe highlight like three of the most memorable diets. Okay. So one of the most memorable was Weight Watchers. And, and that's memorable because I must have done it half a dozen, eight times. Changed over the years. Started back in the day when you were eating like twelve or fourteen hundred calories. When did you first do that? Like, how old were you? Oh, I was mm, probably before you were born. So maybe kind of mid twenties or something, late twenties. I'm not sure. Um, but back in that at that time, like I say, it, the calorie consumption was pretty low. Uh, it was really hard to be nice, which explains a lot of uh, your the way I raised you. So you were you said like twelve hundred calories. Twelve hundred fourteen at that time, and then over the years it it grew. Uh, you know they 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 increased. I don't know what they are now, but it did get more reasonable over time. But I mean, you were pretty much hungry all the time, and even that, I had a really bad attitude. I'd start losing weight, and then when I went for my weigh in, I pro I probably wouldn't drink any water for two days just to make sure I was you know, as light as possible. And then I would leave the meeting happy that I'd lost some weight. And uh, I would hear the, the bulk bins from Safeway across the street calling my name and I'd go over there and fill up with jujubes. So I pro Weight Watchers I turned to, as I say, probably half a dozen times over the years. So um, what happened there? Like you would lose weight and then you would quit, or like get off track. Like yeah. And then you wouldn't follow the maintenance stuff, which probably wouldn't matter anyway. But basically I was a binge eater. So I think from what I've learned, I'm no expert, but from what I learned about binge eating, it's, it's a pattern which starts with kind of a, a, a restriction thing and you restrict, you restrict, you control, and then you just lose it. Mm -hmm. And it's, and, and it's a lot of anxiety related and you just eat, eat, eat. And some people are worse than others. Um, didn't realize that until years and years later after I kind of got in control of things when your sister kind of started experiencing that same sort of thing and the light went on and I thought, oh, maybe I don't really just have just super like food more than anybody else and that it was like a, a thing. So that was Weight Watchers. And then one of the most memorable ones, I was a real jujube thing. I quit smoking. Uh, what are jujubes? Because those are not a thing in... I don't know. Whatever they like American, what would they be like? They're... Like the, they're kind of like Swedish berries, yeah, yeah, but like all different flavors. Yeah. Okay. So I I love that kind of thing, and I quit smoking when the kids were young, and I went directly from cigarettes to jujubes. When and did I, you start smoking? When I was thirteen. Hmm. So I smoked for 
uh, about t 20 years, very heavily at times when I was practicing law, we were still allowed to smoke in our offices and there, there was a lot of smoking going on. I was at one point up to two packs a day to the point where I couldn't have a good laugh without coughing like a, a, an old man. And um, again, something very proud of. Um, anyway, uh, one of the best diets I was on was the zone diet, which I from which was kind of like I, I don't remember the specifics, but when you put stuff on your plate, it was like thirty percent meat and forty percent something else like yeah. vegetables yeah. and then 30% other carbs something like that yeah it works in like in blocks yeah yes. so I would always have a juju block so <laughs> I <laughs> would fair. actually sit down at dinner with the kids and my husband and I'd have my plate and I'd have like three things and one plate was filled with like, jujubes is that the same as like the CrossFit zone it's or the same yeah so zone yeah zone was was adopted early on with CrossFit I think because like CrossFit came about in like the early 2000s okay. that was like the big that was like a big zone time yeah that was when zone was really popular so i think it was just adopted as a way to sort of play with the paleo diet like you do paleo zone mm -hmm. and a way to control like zone you, you control intake but only if you know how to do it and you don't it still lacks the like the educational component yeah and obviously food quality component yeah, because, like, how the hell do you go out to eat with his own diet? Yeah. You're like, excuse me, waiter. Um, can you tell me how many blocks of things in <laughs> yeah, this that's what it, yeah. chicken piccata? Like, <laughs> yeah. they have no idea. Yeah. Did you ever do the Atkins diet? I did the Atkins diet. Of course I did. I also did some grapefruit fruit diet that my mother gave did me. Did you do that any, like, juice cleanses? Nothing like that. Okay. Never did anything like that. Um, but the Atkins diet, I got very skinny very fast. And I think I stopped pooping um, and uh, also lost hair, lost, started losing hair. And that was not a good diet. I, there, apparently there were a lot of people because the, the fiber content is mm -hmm. so low that a lot of people had problems with their colon and stuff, like serious problems. Um, but with me, it was all about the scale. It was all about um, the size of my clothes, and, but mostly the scale, which I would get on 10 times a day. It would completely dictate my mood for the day, I, if I got on and I had a, I had a late morning, I'd be ecstatic and I think, oh, I could eat. And then if I got on and I was heavy, I'd be totally depressed and I'd eat because I was depressed. It, it, it's just, it, it was just a really vicious cycle for a, a very long, very, very long time. And except with when I had, when we had kids, I said to my husband, we, we will not I just knew in my heart this was wrong, and I said we will not be discussing weight. And I got rid of my scale for quite a few years because I just didn't. But you know, I had a very self-deprecating sense of humor, and I think kids just pick up on stuff. Like they know, they just they pick yeah. up and and on what you're doing. Yeah, it was pretty unhealthy. And there was no realization when you had like a like a light day on the scale. There was no like understanding that that was like artificial. Didn't care. It didn't matter. Didn't matter. Just it didn't matter if like mattered. if you like intentionally didn't drink water for the second half of the day didn't before. Matter. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think that's like we see that all the time. Um, like when we get new people, right? Um, we get weight updates all the time, and then, like they'll fluctuate by <clears throat> maybe two pounds a day or something, and it's like you know that's not you didn't actually gain two pounds. Or you didn't actually like lose two pounds. It was highly unlikely, and I think people are so tied to the scale that they don't they. Like in their rational, their logical selves, they know that, but there's so much emotion tied to that number that you just lose all sense of logic when you get on it. I mean, you weigh yourself every day, right? Yeah. How do you like, 
How do you find that? I mean, I keep all, a lot of data points. So I have like my scale and then I, what macros I hit the previous day, uh, how hungry I was, how many hours of sleep that I slept, how many hours of sleep. Um, and then I also keep track of like how my digestion was. How much day. your hair grew overnight. <laughs> <laughs> Get um, the ruler out. No, because I have like, I had some indigestion problems. So I rank that on a scale just yeah. so I can, if it's an eight, and I'm talking to somebody about it, like my natural path, and I'm like, okay, on eight, that day eight, I had like a big bowl of spaghetti, and it's like, okay, maybe it's a tomato sauce. So it's just like, you know. And, and you I'm also like, you also <laughs> weigh your poop, right? Like when you go to the, you you poop on a scale, and you. She brings poop. it here, and I do that. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, no, but I don't like a lot of people now with the diet culture, and like, there's a lot of like self love, and like, um, you know. I have clients that I tell them like weigh yourself every Friday. It's a really good data point. But I also have clients where I'm like, don't weigh yourself. Like put the scale away. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that more. But I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with the scale. Like I don't as associate a number, like a number to my, like I don't get emotional over the number. If I weigh like two pounds heavier one day, I'm like, whether it's like what, I'm on my period or I just maybe had a dinner out with a lot of salt, like I don't know. But I, I don't look at it and that doesn't dictate my day. That doesn't make me angry or sad or frustrated. It's like that's a data point. And I think part of it is I've been doing it for so long that I can see like when there's an actual change. And that's over the course of like a month. Yeah. And full disclosure, I still weigh myself every day. But I don't have that emotional attachment. For me, it's almost more of a habit. And also just keeping track. Like just just sort of keeping track. Um, it, but, but I don't get upset about it anymore. It doesn't dictate what I eat or how I feel or anything like that. So I'm over the years I've, I've gotten past that. So what, how did that change for you? Like what was the turning point there? So, so the turning point for me, as I say, I was in my late forties and I don't know if it maybe had something to do with hormonal change. It maybe did, maybe didn't, but I just reached a point in my life where I thought to myself, like, this is what it is and um it leave the door open for the cat <laughs> um it i just sort of decided to try to accept what i had what what my body looked like and also i just reached a point where i thought i cannot measure another piece of food ever again like i just i just i was so tired of it and just around that time, I found a book. It was actually through Oprah Winfrey, which not that I sit around and watch TV. Uh, I watch CNN now all the time. But um, I happened to come across this book. It was Oprah Winfrey's trainer. And it, it um, long story short, for the first time in my life, I had patience to, to lose weight. I was probably around 160, 165 pounds. I dropped down to about maybe 135 pounds. But the way it worked is um, for a month, all you did was eat like three meals a day and a couple of snacks. Didn't matter what you ate. It was just to get you back into the habit of, and then you started changing your diet. And um, in fact, mine didn't have to change that much. Uh, it was a great increase in fiber. I wasn't eating a lot of like really fatty foods or anything like that. So I didn't have to make a lot of changes. Um, but I was, it was calorie based and it was pretty reasonable. I think it was 18 or 1900 calories based on the exercise I was doing. And after that first month, then you start following that. And after that first month, I lost a pound and a half to two pounds per week, like clockwork. 
I wasn't hungry. I was probably eating more than I had ever eaten before. And on the weekends, if we went out or something, I would ignore the whole thing. And it, as I say, it was the first time in my life that it just, I, I just was patient about it. And I thought if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And I've pretty much maintained that um, weight since then. And over the years, my binging has, a, a, you know, three years later, I thought to myself, man, the last time that I binged on, you know, two bags of potato <laughs> chips has been several years. So it's been slow progress. And, um, it, and, I, and you don't realize it, but you, you, all of a sudden you sort of look back and you think I haven't done anything like that for a very long time. And it's a really great feeling because it had um, almost, food had almost as much control over me as smoking did, which was a lot. <laughs> yeah. When you say like you were eating like eighteen or 1,900 calories and it was like more than you were ever eating, do you think you were actually, I mean, obviously it was, you were actually eating less, but it was probably, and we hear this all the time. We, we put people on macros that or calories that are around 18 or 1900, like completely reasonable. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's so much food, it's so much food. But really over the course of like a week or a month without the like, the like three or four days of restriction and then a binge day or like a bad weekend. So like your rolling average is, yeah. is lower, but your perception of what you're eating, you like in your head, you're like, I'm eating more because you, those restricted days are completely gone. Yeah, because, because I think you have- you're like your brain, you compartmentalize a little bit. So you don't like to think like I'm a binger and like I go complete, I eat five, like four or 5,000 calories on the weekend. Like no one likes to think that. They put that away and they think, okay, I only eat fourteen or 1,500 calories during the week and they think that's their diet. So yeah. when they're consistently eating eighteen or 1,900 and you're eating like whole foods that are fibrous and very filling, yeah, like you're going to feel like you, you are eating more. Yeah. And so it's interesting that you say that because when I say I was eating more than I had been eating, I think I'm thinking I was eating more than I had been eating on my low days. When, when you were I intentionally dieting. Yeah. 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 So you remove that restriction, which allows you to like m- more sustainably be in the calorie deficit. And also you remove the restriction, that crazy restriction, which probably in the end gets rid of some of the binging tendencies. Mm-hmm. So it's like twofold. Yeah. Would you say eating the three square meals and eating like 18 or 1900 calories for that like long period of time and losing weight, were you losing weight much slower than you were yes. on the previous diet? Absolutely. Do you think that had to do with like the fact that this was more sustainable? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We preach that a lot. So I just... Yeah. 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 But a lot of it was just, it, it took a long time, but it was more, that was kind of something that got me going, but the maintaining it was more up here, like it changing my attitude toward myself. And it's not like I look at myself and think, you are so awesome. Oh my God. Look at this body. <laughs> it's not like that. Um, just FYI for future reference, but it's more, and I still have areas that I focus on that I kind of, you know, you know, I tell you, um, well, you always say, you'll always ask like, Hey, like, is it like, can I, can I be wearing a two piece, two piece bathing suit? Like in public still, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Like, Cause we want the beach to ourselves. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, like, I think you look great, but I think always in your head, you're going to have, like, it's going to be a work in progress in terms of 
the self-esteem issue. Yeah. Like you, you see people walking down the beach and you're like, wow, if they can wear a two piece and I'm like, I'm not being rude here. Just like everyone thinks it like if that person can wear a two piece, why can't I? And it's because you look at yourself at, in such a negative light sometimes. Yeah. That you, you don't realize like no one actually cares. No. Like I don't like no one cares. You care maybe because of like whatever you have going on in your head. Um, but I think most people like your family and your friends, like they just want you to do whatever makes you happy. And if, you know, if wearing a two piece on the beach makes you happy, then you should do that. But also when you see people walking down the beach and I find especially European women, cause they expose a lot and they could be like 70 years old and a lot heavier than I am. I'm not necessarily judging them. And I'm thinking, well, why would I judge myself? And yeah. who cares? Like, and then I'm sitting by these guys usually. So <laughs> Nobody's looking at me, <laughs> but yeah. that's, but it is a lot. It's, it's a lot in, it, it is in your head and it's something that I think you have to consistently work on. So let's talk about fit your fitness. Yeah. Like how, um, your most recent fitness endeavors have changed your, well, like let's, so back, I remember as a kid, you were like running a lot and then doing something in the basement. <laughs> what was that? And like, and how did that kind of play in with like, you know, a lot of people, fitness and nutrition kind of go hand in hand. Like they'll use fitness to make up for nutrition. Like, you know, they'll burn calories to eat calories. Like did that ever, like you, I remember like you've talked about training for a marathon and you actually gained weight. Yeah. So to talk a little bit about that, like what you were doing for fitness and how that kind of impacted. So nutrition. I started running. Uh, so I, I didn't, as I say, I wasn't doing a lot of fitnessing and stuff until I married your dad, who at the time was an elite level distance runner. And um, basically that's all I knew was running and all these people running ridiculous distances. So I started, I don't remember what got me going. It was before kids. And I remember the very first time we went for a run and I lasted nine minutes until I was like, and I was still smoking at the time. So that was helpful. And, um, so just started running very slowly. And then what, one day what inspired you to, to, to run a marathon. So what inspired me again, I go back to Oprah. I love this story. Um, Actually, I'll just interject here. When we were kids, we would come home from school at like three 30 school would end at like three. We'd get on the bus and be home by like three 30 and every, every night, I think it was five, you would come home and Oprah would have to come on right away. Yeah, I liked Oprah. Yeah, and we didn't. It was like, ugh. I mean, I watched Oprah. I, well, was I ended like, up watching it. Yeah, it was great. On. But a lot but. of it was it was educational. Anyway, so I had been watching Oprah at the time, and my husband, Garth, used to get uh, Runner's World magazine. And one night we were lying in bed, and he said, oh, look at this. And I remember exactly what it, where it was on the page and everything, and it was a short little article about Oprah Winfrey having run a half marathon and she was training for a marathon. And I think it was the, that military one. I can't remember what it's called, but anyway. The Marine one? Th I think it was yeah. the Marine Corps marathon or something. Yeah. And I read this article and I looked at my husband and I said, if she can drag her ass 26 miles, I can drag my ass 26 miles. And so trained for this marathon. And of course he was running actually 80 to 100 miles per week. I was not training for a marathon. And I just thought, again, this is just a license to eat. And I was eating as much as he was, uh, which was quite a bit. So I ended up um, running this marathon a little heavier than <laughs> when I'd started training for it. 
And my, I mean, I ran a marathon. I wasn't, I've never been a great runner. I just don't find, I've never had that runner's high, generally a runner's low. Um, and I think my fastest was around four hours and 30 minutes. So I'm by no means a great runner or anything, but that was my first marathon. And um, I remember w it was in Victoria and I was wearing contact lenses at the time and I almost lost my contact lenses because when the gun went off, I started to cry and I was just, I just couldn't believe I was doing this. I just couldn't believe it. And then as soon as the marathon was over, we went out and bought jujubes. Of course. <laughs> what else? <laughs> so, yeah. That was before you lost the, like, got Oh, yeah. That. Yeah. That was before kids. And then after that, when you guys were young, I just, again, just, be, I think, because of your dad's influence and a couple other things. So a lot of it was running. Um, but then a lot of it was basement stuff. I had one of those step things. And I used to do Kathy Smith workouts down there. So I would say I kept in kind of okay shape over the years as much as I could. And sometimes was very early in the morning or late at night or whatever. And, um, yeah, that's kind of, kind of what I was doing until, uh, about nine years ago, I guess, started getting a bit more intense. Intense in like the type of training? The type of training, the amount, <laughs> the amount of stuff that I was doing. So we went through uh, a bit, uh, a, a rather emotional time about nine years ago, lost Evan, or uh, Alex's younger sister and my mom within six weeks of each other. And it was, a, it was a tough time. And we basically turned to exercise. In fact, even when her sister was sick, um, she was really into running and uh, very much athletic like Alex. And, and we that were, she, my sister had this goal when she was sick. She was like, when I'm better, I'm going to run. Cause she had never run a marathon, just halves. And she was a great runner. She ran some fast halves. She was like, I'm going to run. I'm going to run a marathon when we're done. And I know she was going to run the San Francisco Nike women's marathon. And there was a reason behind it. And it was because when you got to the finish line, you, there was a firefighter who would give you a Tiffany necklace as a finishing medal. So that was like what she was going to do when she was better. And by that time you had kind of stopped running. Oh yeah. It. I hadn't run a marathon in 15 years yeah. and I said, I'd never do one again because every step is painful for me. <sighs> yeah. It was, it was horrible, but we did, we did do that marathon. Actually we raised, it was in, in, we raised $83,000, the three of us in, uh, in support of leukemia and lymphoma research. Well, I think because so. after she passed away, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to run the marathon. And then my dad was like, I'm, I'm going to run it too. And so you were like, well, shit, <laughs> I guess I'm running the marathon. <laughs> and then we didn't get in. So we, we didn't get in the lottery because so many people sign up. So we signed up for through, and if you're ever interested in running a marathon, this is an awesome way to do it. You run through team and training, which is like, um, a cancer fundraising society and you, you have to raise a certain minimum, but I don't think the minimum is that high. It's, not. it's like it's a, not. a couple thousand dollars yeah. maybe. And they pay for you, they, you get in to the, the race you want and they'll, I think in some instances will pay for your flight and your accommodation. Depending on how much you raise. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And, um, so we, I mean, we had a pretty sad story, but we raised how much? 80, 85. 5,000? 83,000. 83,000 as a family. So we were like, we, they were like giving us presents and stuff. We got these like Nike running shoes that were like Tiffany's, like designed as like it, Tiffany colors. Yeah. yeah. And like yeah. they had ribbons as, as shoelaces and stuff, but that was a rough marathon. 
a lot yeah. of hills in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was about eight years ago. Yeah, 2012. I had just kind of started CrossFit back then. That was the last marathon that you ran. The only one. The yeah. only one, yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then, so after, and what marathon was, was that your, that was your last one? That was my last one. I'm pretty sure I won't ever do one again. Um, this never time for never. sure. Yeah. <laughs> it was really, I, I, I can't even describe it. I was at physio every week training for that thing. Um, but anyway, we were, we kind of went crazy. We just, that was sort of the way that we maintained our mental health or so we thought. And we would just move from marathon training. Like it got up to 20 miles a, it, on, on a Sunday. I would start a couple of hours before Alex and her dad so in the hopes that I got home at around the same time. And then we would do like 75 minutes, super hot yoga, like power yoga stuff. And then we'd be on the golf course carrying our bags for 18. Like we were, we were crazy. Not and anymore then, though. And then Alex kind of got us interested in CrossFit and we went to a few classes and it was pretty exciting. Like I remember the first time I'd never bought, jumped on a box before and it was a you know, max box jump thing. And Alex happened to be at that class and she kept telling me I had more room. And I remember I jumped up to 26 inches and I just felt like I could take over the world. And the next day I was in the office and our, our CFO, I went into his office and I used to wear really high heels. And I was like, guess what I did yesterday? And I was like, dare me, I will jump on your desk right here, right now. <laughs> <laughs> It was really exciting, but I didn't know my limits. I have very poor mobility in my shoulders and a couple of other areas. And I was really, I ended up really hurting myself. And then there was, I think I was, ex well, I was diagnosed with fairly severe adrenal fatigue, which made things hurt a lot more. So finally just packed it in and the doctors, I had a medical slash homeopath doctor who told me, um, to stop running. We were also doing 90 minute spin classes on Sundays, like, and going hard, <laughs> going <you>. hard, <laughs> the three of us. Um, so they said I had to stop all that or I wasn't going to recover. And I had no idea what to do. And that's when I contacted Alex's coach, Mike uh, Fitzgerald, who I didn't know before, just asked him if he knew anything about this, if he could help me. And he, and he said, sure. And so he started programming me. I just started going to our local fitness, um, recreation center doing like lightweights based on the programming and then eventually started building up and I'd go back to his gym every, I don't know, few months or whatever to get a new program and he kind of tests me out. And then I remember the very first day that I did something crossfitty and he was teaching me snatch and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I started doing uh, some Olympic weightlifting and then started on rope. That was like five Five years ago. Well, yeah, the rope climbing, Olympic lifting was probably more recent than that. But I started, I then, I was still working and, and then moved to a CrossFit gym that allowed me to do those things. And um, they allowed me to do my own programming there. And then three years ago when I, when I retired, I started um, at Mike's gym and my programming has gotten much more intense. I'm now up to six days a week and... Um, it's, uh, but I, but, I, but it's intense because I like it because yeah. he knows that it's like, for me, it's like my, like kind of a hobby. It's, yeah. Yeah. So you retired three years ago and then became a professional retired athlete. Kind of. Yeah. 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 No, it's good. Mike seems to enjoy programming for you. 
Oh, slash <laughs> picking on you. I yeah. don't know which he enjoys more, but yeah. Would do you say you're, and then how was your nutrition during that time? So my nutrition was pretty much, um, had, you know, been pretty stable for a number of years. And then I had talked to Alex a few times about, I kind of knew I was low on protein, um, had absolutely zero idea of just how low I was. And she, would, she'd be like, well, I have peanut butter. I have a tablespoon of peanut butter. I have butter. peanut butter in the morning on my toast. I'm like, and that, I eat oatmeal. That's, <laughs> that is not enough protein. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> peanut butter is a source of fat. <laughs> <laughs> at least it's not what my dad my dad thinks there's protein in grapes <laughs> well I had grapes so so I kind of knew I was low on that but I didn't think it was that big a deal anyway uh started to have some problems with inflammation and there was no explanation for it I would go weeks where my weight was up my inner thighs would get very swollen I was quite swollen in here had no idea where this was coming from sought help from doctors and all nobody knew anything and I came across something online one day about protein, and I, and I think you guys had tried to encourage me to get have my macros assessed and all that kind of thing, and I was very... Well, you weren't really, like, tracking. No, I wasn't tracking yeah. at all. Uh, although, given my background, I was always fairly aware of calorie intake, like, always doing the numbers in my head and just kind of knowing what I was calorie-wise. And I was very reluctant to do the macro thing because of my background, my with food. Um, I didn't want to kind of get into that obsessive compulsive thing about tracking calories or anything else. Finally decided, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And I ended up um, getting some advice from a fellow that you were working with. Uh, he was kind enough to help me. And uh, the most shocking thing to me was the amount of pro protein that I had to start consuming, which seemed like <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Like I, w I thought we were going to have to start raising chickens. So what were your macros that you were, do you remember? Uh, when I started with him. Yeah. And how long ago was that? Uh, it's a couple years, few years now, two or th two years. Sounds right. Yeah. And so my macros at the time, they, they did continually go up over a period because I think he started... I was maybe at about like 1,900 calories. I don't remember the exact macros. But it, by the time we finished, because I immediately started losing weight, which I didn't, uh, didn't need to do, so they kept increasing. So I think my macros were, give or take now, what I was left at uh, is about 155 protein, uh, 235 to 250 carb, and 55 to 60-ish fat but I don't live and die by them I yeah. just try to kind of you know give or take in and around those areas but it was the protein that was really hard to and then so the other really interesting thing about that I found absolutely no problem following it and I was very on top of the 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 calculations and stuff because I knew Alex was doing it and the, the girls would come over to eat and and I was always doing that. So, so that, that, there was nothing new uh, to that. So it was easy for me to do. But the interesting thing was, is I've been on medication for high cholesterol for many, many years. And I was on like a really high amount last few years. And the doctors had always said, it's, it's a hereditary type. My yep. dad has it. And the doctors had always said, oh, you know, you eat a pretty decent diet. You're, you exercise a lot. There's nothing more you can do. And about six months after I started, uh, on the macros, 
tracking my macros, uh, I probably reduced fat a little bit, uh, reduced carbs maybe a bit, but really increased the protein. I went back and had a check for my cholesterol and my medication has been, been cut in half. And there's even areas of my body where I thought it's just kind of, you know, skin from losing weight yeah. late in life and being 200 pounds when I was pregnant. And there's areas that went down because my fat profile had been reduced yeah. on account of the, the macro tracking. Yeah. And you know this because you had pod pod test too. Yeah. Like this wasn't just, you know, what you thought you looked like. It was, it was actual data. Yeah. And I remember like, you were like, I'm actually gaining muscle. I'm like 50. I'm almost 60 and I'm gaining muscle. And I think you get to a certain age and we've posted about this before where like we hear, oh, it's, you know, it's just because I'm getting old or it's because I'm in menopause or, but really like that's no excuse. Like it actually isn't an excuse. Right. Um, like your needs change slightly. Yeah. Like, and that's just for people who are aging across the board. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that protein needs go up. So a lot of times like really, yes, you should be eating more than one gram per pound body weight. Ideally. Yeah. Ideally. And then like as people age, we typically see that their activity level declines. So yeah. what happens is you have like an aging person who's eating like 50 or 60 grams of protein per day, maybe. And they're, they're not doing as much. They're not, they're not training. They're sitting around. It's so like, what do you think is going to happen? Like, yeah, you're going to, you're going to lose all, like a lot of muscle mass. You're going to start to feel like crap. Your cholesterol profile is going to go in the wrong direction. So really it's like, I think it, it is slightly more work maybe as you age. Cause it's, you are like, I think there's a tendency to be a little bit less active, but it's like, if you have those habits in place and you know the right things to do, it's just a matter of like making yourself do them. Like, I think I do more like training than an average person my age. And so maybe I can eat a little bit more. I'm not sure, but I totally agree. I don't think that like your body definitely changes. I mean, things just hang, um, <laughs> you know, um, and you have more hair growth, all that kind of thing. But it, it, your body definitely changes as you age. There's no question about it. And, and your skin gets, as my 70-year-old friend recently told me, your skin gets very crepey. Um, <laughs> and I said, well, great. You're really skin looking forward crepey. to it. <laughs> um, but you do change. But I do agree with you that I don't think that menopause or aging, it, I think a lot of people, watching a lot of our friends, a lot of people go get older they retire and they let themselves go. And one other thing that I think is a big deal, especially with retirement, not retirement, but just maybe relaxing a little bit more is alcohol consumption. Mm -hmm. And I, I definitely still consume probably too much. And I was saying to Alex the other day, I think it would make a difference if I cut back on what I'm, and I do incorporate that into my macros, but alcohol consumption for me, the macros made me much more aware very aware of what I was consuming. And so I've definitely reduced that somewhat. And yeah. It just, it really makes you aware of what's going in and out. Yeah. We, that's one thing that we see when people come to us and they're like, okay, this is what I eat. And you're like, all right, well, yeah, that's pretty reasonable. And then you get to the part of the intake form where it's like drinks per week and it's like eight plus. And it's like, okay, so you're actually consuming way more calories than you think. Cause most people don't realize how many calories are in alcohol. And that's just, it's the same thing with uh, with juice, like it's not just alcohol, it's drinking calories, but, um, alcoholic, uh, consumption is a big one. And it's sugar content, I think too. Yeah, right? there's, that, there's definitely, there's sugar and carbs and, um, but it's just like, uh, like straight up is just adding to your calorie intake on top of the other, like 
you know, the negative effects of consuming too much alcohol, which are um, many. But I think, yeah, even getting someone to reduce their alcohol intake by like half is a big deal because that's however many calories coming out of your diet. Plus you're going to sleep better. You're going to recover better. You're going to be more likely to like be active. Um, yeah. So that's a big one too. I could make a decision to cut back more. Um, but I'm not going to, I, I, I think <laughs> yeah. about it a lot. And that's part but, of like figuring out what your like ideal balance is. Like you also go out for dinners and have like last night we were out and we had French fries, like, yeah. And wine, like that's part of it. Just because you're on macros doesn't mean that you can't have that stuff or you need to be on a, a tight leash. It's like we always preach macros kind of allow for flexibility and balance. So you can kind of accommodate wine whenever you want it to a certain extent. Well, it's like and it's, French fries and things like that. It's yeah. like, okay, you're going to have a higher fat dinner. Like we're going to eat a little few, like fewer carbs at lunchtime yeah. to kind of accommodate. So it's And also I like to pick at stuff. Yeah. As you know, we come from a share food sharing family. <laughs> yeah, I learned and that. <laughs> so, you know, I insist on eating my husband's crusts and, and all that kind of stuff. So when I do my macros, my macros, I would say on average are around 2,000 calories, 2,100 calories a day. But I always allow, you know, a gram or two of fat, a gram or two of carbs, just because I know, and if you guys are over for dinner, we're going to go down and eat frozen cookies and it just kind of allows a little bit more flexibility. But the other thing on the alcohol, in terms of making you aware, I drink red w- red wine pretty much, you know, that's what I drink. But when we're on holidays, as you know, if we're somewhere hot by a pool or in Hawaii, by the ocean, I would drink vodka and diet seven. My husband was pouring me a couple of drinks starting at 3 p.m. And that really, that, after I started doing my macros, I was like, oh my God, that was, I mean, and plus we started measuring the amount of yeah. vodka and there was a reason that I, you know, couldn't cook dinner anymore. <laughs> so, so it is a, it's not, not to say that I stopped having it, but we're much more, I'm much more aware now. And so I am definitely having less vodka and thinking longer and harder about it and longer and harder. It's just decision-making really. Yeah. yeah. So what, why, like when you're weighing whether or not to have like another glass of wine or to have, you know, five glasses of wine a week instead of 10, where like, sorry, when did I do that? (laughs) I was like, is that, where did you get that number? I mean, I made it up. I don't actually know. Okay. So instead of drinking like four shots of vodka, you drink two, like, why did you make, like, what is, why, like, why it's, is it a, are you sacrificing like having fun or enjoying yourself on vacation for what? Like, what is the decision? Well, no, it's not a like, sac- the, it's not really the- sacrificing having fun. It's just, like I say, it's just, it, it just became, I became more aware. And when you think about that much alcohol going into your system, it's just not a good thing. And also, f- so there, there were times, um, and <laughs> Meredith's first experience with me, <laughs> that, you know, I might have a little too much. Um, and not that often. And that was just, you know, because of the heat of the day, but, (laughs) but, you know, you go to a party or something and you just kind of let loose and you drink too much. And honestly, um, I now know how much difference it's going to make when I go to the gym the next day. And I'd rather feel better doing that stuff, um, than feeling tipsy the night before. And so that, so, so that was going to be my next question because we have clients who 
come to us and we tell them like, okay, if you want what you want, which is to be leaner, to be healthier, to be fitter, like whatever their goals are, usually along those lines, it requires them to increase protein quite a bit and decrease carbs, decrease alcohol intake. And so they come to us and we say like, yeah, this is what you're going to need to do. Like instead of having like popcorn as a snack, like you're going to need to eat some tuna, you know, tuna on a rice cake or a half a sausage in the morning. You can't just have like, you know, a bagel with peanut butter. You should have a more well-rounded breakfast. And they're like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to have that. Like it changing their diet like that. Like I see on the beach, we'll go to the beach and you bring your lunch. And it's like, sometimes it's just like chicken or tuna and broccoli. Like, how do you, how do so you I get... might be sacrificing a piece of bread for a vodka. Yeah. To be yeah. honest. But, that's, but, but some people need to sacrifice, like change their breakfast or change their lunch. What, but that they, they don't want, yeah, like, we it's get not like, worth it they, to them. They're like, well, like that's a lot of protein. And it's like, yeah, that's a lot of protein. And so then it becomes like, well, like, how do I, how do I do that? What do I eat? And okay, it's like, so the one part of my story that I didn't tell is when I had my, started doing my macros, as you know, literally within a week, things started to change. The inflammation went away. Yeah. And that to me was a huge motivator. So and like just doing it for like a week or two, like to the T, which is pretty much what you did. You follow directions to the T, you you notice benefits, like within a week. And then I remember you were saying like your hair, it was thicker, like which are things you need to worry about apparently when you're your age. <laughs> as you <laughs> say, I don't know, I, I, I didn't I mean, notice. I did wax as soon as I found out we were gonna be like visual. <laughs> yeah. um, no, your head hair, I thought you said. Oh, but, okay, well um, that too. <laughs> so I guess like seeing the physical benefits makes it worth, continuing with like changing your diet a little it's bit. just even feeling better it, 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 feeling it's better. how I felt I yeah. mean with the inflammation and I still get it once in a while if I let myself get run down but the inflammation the effect on that was huge and so if nothing else if even if I go away and I'm not tracking the one thing that I try to be really conscious about is looking for lean protein because yeah. that to me is like it's the hardest thing to do but it has the greatest effect on me and it takes, so for someone like me to eat 155 grams of protein, it's a lot. And, but I've just changed my habits and there are days where ugh, I just can't, I, I just can't. And I might like, I think actually today I'm probably 130 and I just, cause I don't care cause yeah, I feel kind fine. of fuller. Yeah. And so once in a while you're just, but I do try to do it every day. And the protein for me was the hardest thing. And the cat was frightened because uh, he thought he was going to get eaten at one point if, if we, the, you know, things ran low in the fridge. But that's the most important thing to me. And it doesn't take that long to get into the habit. And now, for instance, I, in the mornings, my first breakfast is 150 grams. I do this sort of five or six days worth. I prepare this. And Can we talk about what your breakfast is? So my breakfast, my first breakfast is 150 grams of extra lean beef and um, a sweet potatoes. And I, why besides the protein? Well, it's the protein. Well, because when I was trying to figure out what to have, somebody suggested beef and pumpkin and I did that for a while and it was disgusting. And then I did the sweet potatoes and that way you get some fiber and stuff. And I really look forward to it. Yeah. And it's, it's not something I ever would have thought of before, but you have to just find stuff that 
work. And then second breakfast is um, kind of like toast and peanut butter, maybe half a banana, jam, you, always a sausage of some sort. And then um, sometimes it's oatmeal, depending on where my carbs are for the day. Some days I have like a big bowl of oatmeal with raisins or whatever. And, and then other than that, I just kind of work around my dinner. Yeah. That's good. I think a lot of people get hung up eating. They, they want to eat like traditional breakfast foods where like it doesn't always work out that way. Or even with people that have dietary limitations, which you do, like people, you know, they can't eat eggs. They don't have dairy. And they're like, well, I'm very limited on what I can have for protein. And I'm like, well, actually you aren't mm-hmm. because you still have, you know, all of the animal sources and the plant sources. You might just have to have a meal that doesn't look like a traditional breakfast meal. Yeah. But it's, and also like eggs, I don't, uh, eggs don't sit well with me, but it can't, you gotta have a few eggs to make up for like 150 grams of beef. Mm-hmm. Like eggs don't have that much protein. You'd have to have like five eggs, I think. Yeah. For that. So, so you're not really like the beef really does it yeah. really gets like, a start. When we're, when we're together in Maui and you're eating that beef, you're always like, do you guys want a bite? And I'm like, I'm nope. Like, no, I don't want a bite of that. But then I also recommend it to some of my clients. I'm like, Hey, like a good option for breakfast is like ground beef or whatever with some sweet potato because then you get fiber and a lot of people are very low on fiber that's Mm -hmm. just like a very common thing and nobody has tried it (laughs) maybe somebody will maybe it's a little salt and pepper that's all it is i just do the sweet potatoes in the oven or in the microwave and take them out kind of mash them up and i yeah yeah works for me i think it's again it's one of those things like you do it maybe it is a little bit weird but you do it for a week and you feel better uh, and you look better and the scale is doing, you know, whatever the scale is doing. And it's like, oh, okay, you know what? I can't, I can do sweet potato and beef for breakfast. That's all right. There are certainly weirder things to eat. There are people who don't eat breakfast, which I think is way worse. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I was that person who I'd like lose it. I'd binge and then I'd be oh, I'll start tomorrow. And then, well, I won't have breakfast. And then by 10 o'clock, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, actually, I have a good question. I don't know if you'll be able to answer this. But we also get the question, and I, it's hard for me to speak personally from this because I've never had this problem. I've read some books because, like you mentioned, my sister was going through kind of like binge eating stuff. And I was like, well, why doesn't she just eat like normal meals like I do? Like why? And so I read some books and kind of learned a little bit about it. Um, but like I get clients who will say like, what do I do in those moments where I just want to eat my feelings or like, I can't stop myself or I've had a really long day and I just, I just, I can't control myself. And like, I have, I have things that I've learned and partially from just talking with clients, what's helped them. So I know what I, I think I say some helpful things, but like from somebody who's experienced that firsthand, if somebody asked you that question, like, what did, what would you do? And you probably feel it still in some scenarios. Like, I'm sure it's still a work in progress. Like, what do you, what would you tell somebody? Is a do? bottle of wine and a pack of cigarettes <laughs> an appropriate answer? No, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know with me, like I say, it took, it, it took a long time. Um, but now, like I mentioned earlier, we happen to have a bag of Lay's potato chips in the basement. And I thought about them today and I just, and I just, I think for me, it's more now that I know how much better it makes me feel to make better decisions, it's, it's, it's just something I do. 
And I think being able to make a decision has taken time and learning, trusting that you have control. Like you do have control. Yeah, actually. Like a lot of people think they don't have control, but it's like you just don't know how to use it. You don't know that you're a person mm-hmm. who actually can do it. And it takes some rec- it takes time and like talking to somebody and recognizing that. And I think one of the keys, so I'm going to change my answer. It's not how be- how much better I feel. It's how much less shitty I feel. Like I think about back when I used to binge, like really binge. I mean, it physically it's disgusting. It, you feel horrible and then you feel horrible about yourself. And that's part of the cycle. Like it's, you just, so I can, I can to- totally relate to that. Um, but I think you just kind of have, I think one of the keys too is, is self-forgiveness. Like, so if you do go off, like you, just saying, well, I'm just going to keep doing it and I'll start again tomorrow probably isn't the right thing to do because, and then you have that like false hunger, you know, when you eat too much and then you wake up the yeah. next morning and you're starving. And so that kind of sets you off. But I think kind of forgiving yourself for, for doing it in the first place, it sounds like I'm not that touchy feely person. So 20 years ago, I would have thought this was weird for someone to say, but I do think that's a big part of it. A lot of it, I think for me is emotional and mental where you just, you just have to say, okay, well, I just, you know, I, I'm not that bad a person because I ate a bunch of crap. Like it, it doesn't, it shouldn't define who you are. And also from what I learned about, uh, you know, uh, disordered eating, whether it's binge eating or whatever, well, mostly binge eating. So I'm a person who cannot make myself throw up. So maybe there's a possibility that through, throughout my, you know, years, I might've become a, 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 Bulimic. Uh, bulimic. Yeah. Um, so th- I've learned now when I see young women who are really heavy or like young girls, teenagers, young women, 20s, or who have like are tattooed and stuff, that all is kind of the same thing. Like yeah. I'm far less judgmental of it because it's not always, sometimes it's lack of education, I think, with people who um, are, are, you know, unhealthily heavy um, part of it I think is lack of education, but part of it is, it's not about self-discipline. It's about other things. And I, I wish people would understand that more. Yeah. I, I we, wish more mothers would understand that. Frankly. Definitely mothers. And then we, you see it with people on the internet too. Like there's all these personal trainers and, you know, people who are like, you know, the answer is, you know, eat less than you, you know, you know, eat less, do more kind of, it's so simple. It's just math. It's just thermodynamics. And like, yeah, it is that simple when you boil it down to the chemical reactions that are going on, but it to just say like, hey, just eat less. I think it oversimplifies the human aspect of nutrition and it's it's insensitive and like yeah, you can for sure have a client and you can just get them to eat less and they'll lose weight, but what is going to like what's going to happen 6 months down the road when they don't know what to do, they're frustrated, they're really hungry because they've been in a calorie deficit for 6 months then they don't have any support because they're the person that they, they paid either a trainer or maybe they got a template online. Um, they don't have any answers. They don't, they don't understand that what they're feeling is completely normal and that it's okay. Yeah. Cause I thought I was just like, I didn't know there were other people like me who just <laughs> ate ridiculous amounts of food. And, and it is a hard thing to understand. It, it's, a, I think it's a really difficult thing to understand. You studied psychology and she was, raised in the same house and she she said I remember you said to me once 
like intellectually I can understand it, but I don't, I don't, I don't get how my sister can be like this or what, you know, because she'd never experienced that. And so I think a lot, I think part of it too is genetic. Like mm -hmm. I think some people are just more predisposed, but I just wish people would be a bit, at least try to be a little bit more open-minded about it because yeah. at least from my experience, it's, it's not, it's not about self-discipline at all. Yeah. Or it, uh, it, it might be in some cases, but in a lot of cases, I don't think it is. Yeah. No, that's good. And I then, oh, go ahead. So just to reiterate, like when you have a bad day, you're saying like, move on. Like, it's okay. Yeah. You don't need to feel guilty. Just move on. You don't need to eat less the day after. You don't need to feel guilty or embarrassed. It's just part of it. And if you're working on changing, like you just need to recognize what happened, maybe like what caused it, what you could have done differently, things like that. It's a learning process. Whatever yeah. you do, don't plan on eating another less thing, the next day. Like, yeah, I know. Like, that's the cycle, like, right? Another thing yeah. is you, a lot of people move into the next day and they're like, I can't have that. I'm, I can't do that. Like I'm on a diet, this, that. But in, instead it's like changing kind of how you see yourself, like your identity, kind of like what you were saying, mom, when you say, I look at myself, I'm like, I'm a person who, you know, values what I can do in the gym and eating those bag, that bag of chips isn't going to make me feel better for my workout tomorrow. Like, it's not that you're a person who can't have something. It's just, you're a person who values eating healthy. Yeah. Other things in, in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of aspects to it, but yeah, there's a lot of angles to go at that, I think, but yeah, I think being a little, giving yourself a little bit of grace there and having a good support system. I think a lot of people who are that way hide it from other people and, you know, you don't realize, like, maybe you don't realize that your best friend is that way too or your coworker. And if you were just more open with it, then, like, you'd realize that it's, it is very common or at least maybe it manifests for other people in different ways. And just having someone that you can talk to about it, I think, goes a long way too. Yeah. So, um, another tough question for all the moms out there who have young daughters, do you have any advice? Like they're going out into the world with diet culture, just in their face. Like, like you mentioned with social media, just everywhere, high expectations, pressure as like, what would, what kind of advice, if any, would you give those moms out there who are thinking like, what can I do? So that, that's a really tough one. Um, uh, I mean, we tried to sell you too, but that, <laughs> cause it was just getting too hard. Um, no, I think, so I look back at the mistake, the things I've learned through this. And, and as I say, for the experience with our other daughter, that's number one, um, that I've learned things from. So I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm not an expert, but I know a little bit more about this stuff. So I would say really try to stay away from any focus on what pe what you look like um you know fat skinny all that kind of thing losing weight i i would just and especially about yourself because i because as, as much as you think you you know your kids don't pick up on it i think that they do so i think that's really important um one of the biggest things that I learned, and again, there's a whole psychology behind it about um, kids learning to deal with anxiety, stress, all that kind of thing. I think 
what I've learned, one of the most important things you can do as a parent and as a human being is to acknowledge people's feelings. And so with your kids, if they're crying or whatever, I just don't, you know, from what I know, I don't think it's a good idea to try to suppress that and say, well, don't, don't be silly and don't cry or don't be silly. You're not fat or don't be silly. You know, what are you crying for? I mean, just suck it up and just, uh, and, and I think that's where a lot of this comes from is, is that kind of suppression and more anxiety and everything. So, um, as goofy as that probably sounds, like I say, I just, I have learned a lot about it and I've read a lot about it. And I think that's a, a really important thing. Um, just so that, and, and so that kids can, um, and encourage kids to do things that they, that they can experience accomplishment. It doesn't have to be winning with our kids, but then even that they it were was involved. All, it was always about winning. It was still is. <laughs> but, but you know, you learned, you did lose sometimes and those were the best lessons. Um, but with our kids, it was a shock to me because I always thought, you know, I was so excited that they were interested in sports and competition and I would just never have had the, the guts to put myself out there and do this stuff. And I thought this would shield them from all of this because I mean, Alex said she never even thought about what she looked like until she was 20 and yet found out that our younger daughter started, you know, thinking about her body when she was in grade five. So I, you know, I think it's important whether it's music or, or just anything where they can feel a sense of accomplishment is important. But I do think you have to really try to uh, just overcome the whole image thing that that's out there all the time nowadays and think about yourself, think about the things you say about yourself in a negative fashion. Um, and it's not always, you know, it's not necessarily, if you weigh 400 pounds, great if you feel great about yourself, but then again, try to encourage. And I think in as much as I wasn't the biggest athlete, I think that just the way you guys grew up watching dad run marathons all the time, watching me run some marathons, work out in the basement at five o'clock in the morning or whatever, it probably had an influence on you and a healthy one to some extent. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, uh. We got a, a message on tactic, uh, was it last week, from a, a mom whose kid, whose like 10-year-old is into CrossFit or <laughs> the hell I mean. Okay. <laughs> I think the cord scared her. I just jumped in, hit her head on the bottom of the table. <laughs> She's embarrassed. All right. Um, well, we got a message from a mom whose kid is into CrossFit and like competitive weightlifting, and she was asking us, you know, I just want my, I've never had an athlete in the family. Like, what should I do for her nutrition? And like asking us advice on, you know, how to, how her, her 10 year old daughter should be eating for her athletics. And I was oh like, God. okay, um, your 10 year old daughter should be eating like a 10 year old. Like I wouldn't mention anything at all about nutrition. Like the, the worst thing I think you can do for a 10 year old is to plant the seed of like, you should be concerned with your nutrition. They should be concerned with what they're you know, what they enjoy doing and doing sport and they should be spending time with their friends and like, you know, definitely not living in the gym, that kind of thing. And like, she was really receptive to it. And, yeah. you know, I like, and from an athletic perspective, you're not asking me this question, but I will add this, that our kids did everything athletic that they could. And I'm not going to take any credit for this. They would glom onto stuff. My husband would sign them up. I would have to drive them. Um, I wasn't a fan. I was an absolute crazy person for years, probably cause I was eating 1200 calories a day. Um, but they, the sports thing, they both excelled at certain sports. They were both encouraged to focus on those sports alone. They did not even ski racing. Alex went very far up the ladder and Evan did too, but 
we just weren't into that, you know, train in the summer, send them to Europe when they're 12 years old. They did a whole bunch of different sports. They, they did um, sports that, that you do as an individual, sports as a team. So they, they learned different skills doing those. But if I recall correctly, um, an, a few years ago, Alex was um, at, on a podcast or something and she was being interviewed. And they asked her of all the sports that she did, which sport contributed m most to her CrossFit success? And her answer was golfing. And that's because of the mental, you said the mental aspect of it. I don't know if you remember that and the self-discipline that you have to. So honestly, uh, for with kids with sports, I would say just let them do everything. And yeah. eventually they might choose one or the other. But even now as a 30-year-old, like you guys are doing all kinds of things that you're pretty competent at. And it's yeah. fun. And it's because I think it's from doing a lot of different things as kids because mm -hmm. I was the same way. It was It wasn't just one sport for you know, all four seasons and you're just training for that exactly. sport in different ways. It was like, okay, in summer we swim in the fall, we're running track and playing basketball or cross country in the spring. It's soccer and track, um, you know, and indoor swimming. It was like, it was as many different things as we could do, which I think not only makes you a better athlete all around, but it's just like, it's good for kids. It, it helps them develop, I think, and be mentally like. I, I, I agree. There. And as I said earlier, I limited myself to smoking and drinking. Um, <laughs> And I became very, very competent at those things. I excelled, <laughs> I have to say. But your dad did a lot of sports, and he was a real, yeah. you know, and certainly influenced that. And I think that's a lot healthier than kind of one sport. That's just my opinion. How did you quit smoking? <gasps> oh, that's the, yeah. I quit once in law school, and <laughs> I, I uh, that, so I did quit. And then I learned from that experience. A year later, I was at a bar with my sister, who was a smoker and had a few drinks and took a puff of hers. And I know now if I ever stick anything lit to my lips again, I will be buying cigarettes the next day. I'm just that kind of a person. But I was um, smoking when the kids were young. As I said, I, I didn't smoke when I was pregnant, but smoking right after. And it had so much control of me that I'd be in the kitchen with the window open, like 30 below outside. <laughs> and it's the smoke's blowing in. And and it, it, I just felt really guilty and I, just the thought of quitting would just make, put me in such a bad mood. I was so addicted to it. I ended up on the patch mm -hmm. and that, and I, that's what I ended up doing. And, and, um, yeah, quite, and, and that year I trained for my first marathon and that fall when I went back skiing for the first time since I quit after having trained for a marathon, it was like being in a new body. I could not believe the difference. I, I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. It was like, it was like I was given a whole new life. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. Pretty profound. We went skiing. Meredith got us back into skiing. I was a ski racer, as you probably know or have heard. And I, I quit when I was 22, right when I finished up at school and hadn't skied since. And so now it's seven years later, Meredith wants to go skiing. So we get all the ski gear and then we get my mom to c come with us because she used to be a great skier. And she hasn't skied in what? Same, seven years. We all gave it up at the same time. Did you ski while I was in a lot? I don't I think. I might have put ski I think it may uh, have been like not. nine years for yeah, you. Yeah, it could have been longer. Anyway, we went out last December for the World Cup race just to watch. There was a great powder day. And you were over the moon <laughs> at how you were like, I feel better and fitter than I did nine years ago. Nine years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I, I think I'm 
feel fitter. I, there's no question I'm fitter now than I was even and 20 years ago. And you could walk ago. the next day. Yeah, and I could <laughs> walk the next day, and I could lower myself onto a toilet seat. And no problem. All by myself, yeah, which I never, after a first day of skiing, I could never do. But, yeah, the fitness thing is, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I'm shocked at how you can actually develop as an older person. Yeah, you definitely can. You just have to give it the time mm-hmm. and dedication. Yeah. I think a lot of people just, they quit before they really get started. Yeah. Yeah. And then yesterday we were golfing. Meredith. <laughs> okay, so the Parkers are just kind of cut from a different cloth. So, like, we don't, like, I don't spend a ton of time on my feet. Neither do you. And we golfed a couple weeks ago, nine holes, and we're like, okay, let's let's do 18. I'm not a great golfer, but, like, I'll go. And so we, the plan was to walk the front nine and then get a cart for the back nine, which seemed like a super reasonable plan to me. And so we're on the whole, I actually think it was whole nine. No, it must've been whole eight. Cause you called and I just, I heard the murmurs, I heard them start. And it was like, do you want to, do you guys want to like, do you want to walk the back nine? What are you going to walk the back nine? We'll just, yeah. Just ask Meredith if she wants to walk the back nine. Cause and we're so, carrying our bags. Yeah. Too. And it's not like, we're not on trolleys, like the, our bags on our back. So you're like, you're carrying a load. And so of course Alex is like, Hey, uh, I think we're going to walk the back nine. Is that okay? And I was like, I mean, y'all are ridiculous. But I, And that was the day I, I knew that today. I knew Sunday was just, it was going to be a write-off day. I was like, yeah, sure. Like, my feet are fucked. Like, but whatever. Like, they can't get worse. And actually, I, we decided it would have been worse to get into a cart because then you realize how messed up your feet are. Yeah. So that was, yeah. And then, so another story along the same lines was what, Maui this year when, Somehow, some by some miracle, I was the only one not injured, which is, I don't think ever happened before, but you're, so we were there for the first day and it was fine. And then like second or third day, your hip got hurt. Alex's hip was hurt. Your, Brenda's back was injured and Garth was like literally Waiting like for back surgery. Yeah. Like off. fresh off. He was fresh off back oh, surgery, right, like just yeah. cleared for running. So like the first couple of days. Garth is running to the CrossFit gym, like a minute on, minute off, but not supervised. You can assume that the intensity was probably a little too high. Alex has a bum hip. And then like, you're like, no, I think you can't even stand up straight. But like, I think I can, I think I can deadlift. I'm going to tell Mike to not chill. Like, I'm not going to tell Mike. I don't want my programming to change. And I'm like, this is a family of psychopaths. So it's definitely, yeah, that was kind of, that was funny yesterday because it reminded me of Maui. And then I, re- I remember the story about how you used to go to hot yoga and then or work out, then go to hot yoga and then go play golf. And I was like, how did you do that? Well, and then the first few years in Maui, Alex was up at five. Up, up, everybody. We've got to be in the gym at 630. <laughs> <God>. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't I call it vacation. It was called boot camp back then. <laughs> yeah. I've eased up on them a little. <laughs> yeah. We sleep in until like 530 now. <laughs> But anyways, I think this has been good. Um, did we want to do some, I forgot to get the rapid fire questions ready. Um, but we did the parenting one. So we, can, we can alternate. I can come up with some on the spot. Okay. You go then. I'm All right. Not good at, I have to answer. Yeah, rapid you fire. do. We'll just do a few. Okay. Favorite lift in the gym. How rapid do I have to be? Oh, you like you get, oh, you get a second. Um, probably squat. Oh, squat clean for sure. Okay. Um, if you, what's your favorite meal? Like if you had to pick a cheat meal, what would that meal be? Cheat meal. Something with like 
bad fries. A burger and fries, probably. Like a restaurant burger and fries. Yeah. Uh, what kind of like food prep and stuff? Do I do for you? <laughs> no, like what, what, do you, what do you cook like? What, is your, what do your meals look like for lunch and dinner? Uh, so for like, lunch, What's your favorite, favorite kind of way to eat? Well, so for lunch, sometimes I just have leftovers and, and I'll have, I like to keep chicken, um, in the freezer to do like, I'll just throw like whatever for lunch. Lunch is kind of the last meal that I do based on every, the rest of my day. And then dinners, um, we, I usually do a dinner unless it's like a barbecue or something. I usually do a dinner that makes six meals so that I, your father and I can have one like one day and then two days later and then I can bring one to you guys which we like yeah, yeah. very appreciative so I do I usually cook like that and then you guys come over on Sundays like tonight stir fry and if you want a, a recipe book that's great very healthy kind of lower fat easy to fit into macros and actually have macros we highly recommend loony spoons we well my mom cooks from that book a lot yeah yeah it's a good one. Yeah. Indian, the Indianapolis 500 yeah. is one of my favorites. And Nutcracker yeah. is good. Nutcracker. Easy, Nutcracker. Easy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what what competitions are you doing in 2021 <laughs> season? <laughs> oh, I wish. <laughs> I do my competitions in my head. That's okay. Sometimes that I get works. programming and I lose sleep. Yeah. And I said to Alex, sometimes I'm driving to the gym and I get butterflies in my stomach because it's a tester and it's like, I have to remind myself I'm not on my way to the CrossFit Games and nobody really cares except Alex pretends to. And I always text her instantly <laughs> if it's a good result. Yeah. I think Mike likes it. Yeah. He certainly gets a chuckle sometimes. Oh, one more? Yeah. Um, what is your favorite part about getting older? Uh, my saggy breasts. No, wait, my <laughs> saggy ass. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite oh actually no honestly so I think this was part of my transformation in my 50s I don't know if you remember but I remember 50 being my favorite birthday ever and I believe especially as a woman that getting older you have a sense of freedom like you start not caring as much <laughs> and you just have more not even confidence in yourself it's just kind of like whatever it's just a better feeling yeah it's just you're not as self-conscious about things and it's just you've done things and you just kind of you're ready to move on and that yeah I have to say especially I think as a female yeah yeah, yeah. cool well this has been great um this is a really good first podcast back so I think people are gonna like it uh so thanks for letting us use your dining room table kitchen table and no, it was long, but I think it was good. Yeah, we You're better welcome. let her go so she can make us dinner. <laughs> Alex is getting hungry, so we got to go. <laughs> yeah, but thanks a lot. Well, thank you. Yeah, if you want to follow uh, Brenda, her handle is at Alex's mom, Brenda, on Instagram. Um, so follow along there. There's some good cat, cat and gym stories that go up for sure. So, cool. <laughs>